You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. It's so good to see all of you here today. And uh, it is a privilege to be able to uh, preach to you uh, and teach the church most weeks, not all the weeks. On the average, Terry and I are out of the, out of the church about once a month. Uh, because this church has impact into other churches around the uh, United States and Canada in particular. And so uh, th- what's happening here is going out there, and so uh, we appreciate that. If you are newer here at Westside today, we appreciate you being here and give you an especially warm welcome. Thanks for being here. And it's not always easy going to a new place and meeting new people, uh, so we don't take that lightly, and thanks for being here. Um, Listen, next week is uh, our Westside 101 class on Sunday afternoon. It's going to go for two weeks. And so if you are newer to Westside and you're thinking about making Westside your church home, that's the place uh, to go to. So that's where we talk about where we've been, uh, where we're headed, uh, what we believe in, the things that are important to us. And uh, so I encourage you to make the time to do that. We only do it a couple times a year. And so this would be a great opportunity. So it's, it's next Sunday afternoon and the Sunday after that. You can get a lot more information at the Welcome Center. Please sign up there. I uh, hope that you do. And um, uh, the, both of those things, uh, the words, prophetic words this morning about praise and uh, a word particularly to the men, uh, I believe that God uh, speaks today, speaks to us. Uh, every prophetic word, like Paul said, is subject to the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority on all matters and faith and practice. Uh, but God does speak specifically to us. And I, I believe that there's a trumpet call going out to men uh, right now uh, across America. Uh, and that's the only statistics I know. Uh, the church is generally made up of about two-thirds women and one-third men. Uh, in this church, uh, we've sort of broken that mold. And I appreciate all the manly men uh, we have in this church that are not afraid to be men and not afraid to be passionate about their relationship with Jesus. And so that's a big deal, and it makes a huge statement uh, to this community and to your spheres of influence. So uh, in a couple weeks, we have a men's breakfast. I encourage all you guys to be there. It's appropriate for guys 13 and older, and uh, so bring your sons and nephews and and grandsons, guys, and uh, bring a friend, and and there's a a word that's going to come just to us men. So this is week number five in our new series on Romans, and so I'm so excited about this. Uh, Remember this, remember this, Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel is about Jesus. And so all through uh, this book, we're going to be massaging in the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that God Almighty stepped out of eternity into time and space so that we could know who God was. Uh, He became man. So Jesus is the one. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we have to know Jesus uh, in order to know the Father. And so it's a, it's a great thing that he did that. The prophecies foretold that. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in your place and in my place. And then he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again three days later. And he's coming back for us. That's the good news. It's not a program. It is a declaration of truth. It's the declaration of the ages. And so I'm so excited about this. Uh, this preach today uh, that I'm going to talk about could actually have... Uh, 
been uh, very well placed in our summer series we had on mist, about misused, uh, misunderstood, misquoted scriptures. And so the scripture that I'm going to talk about today uh, is, is, was really one of the most difficult preparations I've ever had. And so, and the reason was not because I'm ashamed of proclaiming God's truth, it's because I want to represent it well. And there has been a lot of misunderstanding about this uh, passage. And so, uh, bear with me as we go through this today. If you're a prayer and an interceder, please, please pray for me uh, while I'm preaching today. And so, uh, Father, just open our hearts, uh, I pray. Holy Spirit, you said that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. And we trust you in that. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting to read in Romans chapter 1. Um, we're starting with verse 20. I'm going to back up just a couple verses to lead us into uh, the passage, and we'll go through to the end of the chapter. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew about God. That know about God means they knew God existed. It doesn't mean they knew Jesus as their personal Savior, but they knew about God. They knew that God existed because of the evidence uh, in creation and in our heart. That's the general revelation that God has given to every single human being uh, from all times. But they wouldn't, not they couldn't, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. I'll tell you what, gratitude is a virtue that's quickly disappearing from our culture. And uh, lack of gratitude or ingratitude uh, really does lead to a downward spiral. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Dark and confused thinking leads to dark and confused living. Don't let that ever escape you. And eventually, it, it seems to become permanent when we start thinking that way. What happens is several things happen. One is people can't worship God because they don't believe He exists. And then they can't uh, be or feel thankful uh, because he, he's, he doesn't exist. And their thinking becomes pointless or convoluted or just going in circles because it lacks any starting point. If, if, if all of our thinking doesn't begin with the foundation of who God is and what He said, what He's revealed to us, then we just pick a point to start from and, and we're, we're going in circles, we're going in a mess. And then sadly, the light of truth in people's hearts goes out. And uh, that's a dangerous place to be. Verse 22, claiming to be wise... They instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So that's talking about our relationship with God. Now it kind of goes horizontally to our relationship with people. Verse 24, so God abandoned them. I don't want God to abandon me. When people refuse to acknowledge God or to worship Him, and their thinking becomes foolish and convoluted, everything's upside down, says God abandoned them. Or some of the other translations says God gave, gave them up. And in this passage here, 
it's repeated three times. The same thing, God abandoned them. He gave them up or gave them over to these things. That's what you want. That's what you're going to get. We talked about that last week, uh, how uh, when, when people uh, desire something so bad, sometimes God says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. And in that verse in Psalm says, and leanness of soul with it. And so God gave them the desire of their heart and leanness of soul with it. Uh, I assume that everybody uh, pictures it like I do. But I picture it like on the outside you might be perfectly normal, but on the inside your soul is lean and shallow. And it's like a raisin drying up on the inside. You're shriveling up because you're not acknowledging who God is. So he, he makes your world a little bit smaller where it's all about you. And it's just a desperate uh, drive for survival and self-preservation uh, when, we, when we put God out of the picture. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them and gave them up to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them, there it is again, to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. That is one of the longest, if not the longest, list of sin, and none of us escape that list of people who turn away from God and he turns them over to that. It's a very, very uh, sobering passage of Scripture. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things. Now that word, do these things, some of your translations say practice these things. That's a key word, practice. The Greek word is proso, which means they do it repeatedly and they do it habitually. In other words, there's, there's a difference between falling and slipping and practicing and planning sin. There's a big difference. Uh, they deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Wow, that's the end of chapter 1 in Romans. That's a, quite an introduction that Paul uh, gives us. Uh, the main point here in this passage here, the main point is people refuse to worship God so God leaves them and turns them over to their foolish uh, uh, thinking and their hearts become darkened. 
it's, it's a dangerous thing to turn away from our God knowledge and, and refuse to worship Him and follow Him and go our own way. Um, my prayer this morning when we, the elders usually meet early on, well, every week we meet early on Sunday morning, get together, and we pray for the service, pray for you. Uh, my prayer this morning was to communicate this well and, and for believers who follow Jesus, who love Jesus for a long time, to realize that none of us has arrived. We're all human beings. We all sin. We all fail. Uh, we don't have to plan on it. We don't have to count on it. Uh, there's a way for us to walk in righteousness, but all of us have been in this place where we desperately need a sa- Savior. And if we, we as believers, when we get off track a bit, we need to get back on track. It's a big deal to walk in humility to walk in repentance before God. And then for people that are searching for God, they, there has to be this understanding that I have offended a holy God, a righteous God, an eternal God, and I've gone my own way, and I need to lay that down to repent from it. I don't have to pay the penalty. Jesus paid the penalty. That's the gospel. Uh, and just acknowledge him and, and uh, move on. So number one here that we want to pull out of this today is, number one, we were created to worship. You were created in the image of Almighty God. You were created to worship. And I'm going to tell you that every single person worships something. Really, we do. What we love is what we worship, and what we worship rules our heart. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. Westminster Catechism, this is from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The end of all being, at the end of the day, the bottom line, the the last result is this. We were created to worship God and to enjoy fellowship with Him, to enjoy uh, a time with Him. This, This relationship like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, they walked with God every day. We were created to worship God and to enjoy His presence forever. That's the end of all being. Now, humanism... And I'm going to be talking more and more about this over the next few weeks. That's the class that I'm teaching on Tuesday night. By the way, you can still come to that on Tuesday night. Uh, get information at the Welcome Center. We're going to talk a lot about humanism. I'm not talking about humanitarianism or humane, those kind of things. Those are nice virtues. But humanism is elevating human beings to the highest instead of God, taking God off the throne and putting people first. Uh, that's uh, humanism. It's an actual... Uh, religion has all the, the same qualities as any religion does, and um, it's a dangerous uh, place to be. So humanism says that the end of all being, the bottom line, is the happiness of man. It's all about me. It's all about my happiness. We're just here temporarily, so eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. So verse twenty says, 23 says, Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols, Uh, made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. I'll tell you what, our attitudes have consequences. They really do. So when we choose not to worship God, we will simply end up worshiping something else. And so here it speaks about them worshiping the creation rather than the creator. If you look around you today, there's a whole lot of people who place a whole lot more importance almost worshiping things uh, or actually worshiping things instead of the one who created those things. 
Those things become way more important. That becomes their world, uh, so to speak. And so verses 24 and 26 and 28 all have that phrase, so God abandoned them. That is a scary, scary place to be. Uh, The Life Application Bible Commentary says this. Oh, by the way, just in this this, uh, series of Romans... Uh, I mostly, I, I use several translations, but mostly the New Living Translation, which we're reading now, the English Standard Version, the New King James, the Old King James, Strong's Concordance, uh, Strong's uh, Dictionary. Uh, there's a couple books out there. One is uh, by John Stott. One is by John Piper on the Book of Romans. Uh, also the Cornerstone Bible Commentary, the Life Application Bible Commentary, and the English Standard Version Bible a study Bible, those are the main resources that I'm using for this series. This is out of the Life Application Bible Commentary. When people and nations refuse to repent, sin takes over and draws people into a life where there is no sense of right and wrong. Without God's remedy, remedy His righteousness, the end is destruction. So if you choose to go your own way, there's only one end, and that end is always uh, destruction. And that is a, a very clear picture of what the children of Israel did. Remember, they, went, they were in Egypt, and God delivered them. They went out into the desert. They disobeyed, so they had to stay there 40 years. Then they go over into the Promised Land. And during that time in the Promised Land, the first few hundred years, uh, God rose up uh, judges to, to rule and to defeat their enemies. So the people, here's what would happen. The people would sin. So God would abandon them. And so the enemy came in and overtook them and harassed them and killed them and defeated them and all these things. So then the people turned back to God and repented. So then God comes through, sends a deliverer, and then they're delivered from the enemy for anywhere from 40 to 80 years, one generation or two generations. That happens over and over. So that's called a period of cycles in in the early uh, time of Israel. And what it says in there, it says each person did what was right in their own eyes. That describes our culture today. You may have heard a phrase like, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Like each person defines their own truth, and that's exactly what the Bible says. Each person did what was right in their own eyes. That is, that's a bad place to be. That is uh, taking abandoning God and and turning over to idolatry. Number two, idolatry is worshiping something or someone other than Almighty God. That's what idolatry is. When you worship idols, people would actually bow down in those days to little idols. Most of you don't have like a little idol of a gopher in in your house, and you bow down and worship the creation rather than the creator. But people did. They worshiped their ancestors, or they worshiped creatures, or or the sun, or, you know, just all kinds of things that were created by God instead of worshiping God. And so, today we don't do that too much. There's probably not too many people uh, who, who worship creatures around us, but there's a whole lot of other things uh, that we can worship. They, trude, they traded the truth about God for a, a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. So Tim Keller, one of the references I just mentioned, Tim Keller, um, in his book on Romans, uh, he said, when we worship an idol in his place, he is no longer the one thing we have to have in this life. 
something else is. It rules us. And ultimately, we will do anything, no matter how destructive to, to ourselves or to others, to have it, to increase it, or to keep it. That's what an idol is. Something that gets in between you and God. So, now in this passage... It's an unavoidable fact that the Bible says homosexuality is sin. But there's a couple of things I want you to note here. One is all sex outside marriage is sin. This is what idolatry is. This is an over-desire for something. You know, there's a desire for something and then there's this over-desire. It's like it consumes us. We think about it, we plan it, we dream it. That's all we want to do, and that becomes idolatrous because it gets in between us and God. But Paul also says here that greed is over uh, desire, and that is also idolatry. Uh, Greed is a constant desire and destructive force for more, and it's just as idolatrous as sexual immorality. And so, um, also, Seeking to gain God's approval through biblical uh, morality. And in other words, becoming very legalistic and just following a list of rules. I'm good enough to earn God's favor. Then that becomes idolatrous as well. There's these things uh, that God lists. And that's earning God's favor by legalism. The second observation that I see in that is, while homosexuality is a sin, it's not necessarily the worst sin, uh, like many believe it is. Um, Paul lists even more, which he calls wickedness. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. Though That's a big list. That's a big list, and all of us fall in there somewhere, sometimes in many of those areas, if not all of those areas. And so this is something that should be very sobering to to believers because that's why Jesus died on the cross was for that stuff. That's why God's wrath was poured out on his beloved son to pay for this stuff that we do. Salvation's free for us, but it costs Jesus a lot. It's a big deal, and that's why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day and remind ourselves of God's grace and God's mercy, and that, out of that comes gratitude and thankfulness and, and a life that's worth living uh, for His glory. So, but all that stuff comes back to people still have a problem with sexual sin, particularly uh, homosexuality. But, so why is this uh, sexual sin so powerful in us? Just a few thoughts. Uh, the Bible tells us over and over to avoid sexual sin. And there's, there's uh, homosexuality, there's adultery, there's fornication. Adultery is, is uh, sexual relations, uh, sexual immorality outside of your marriage vows. Fornication is sexual immorality before your marriage vows. And um, did God who created sex decide that he wanted to change our, his mind after he put this desire in human beings? Because it's a strong desire. It really is. And the answer is definitely not. God invented sex as the pleasurable part of the unique relationship between men and women who are made in His image. 
And so God made that. Like, and like most gifts, it has proper uses and improper uses. And what was created to be an expression of fidelity and intimacy and comfort and pleasure uh, can also be an expression of selfishness and betrayal and deception and manipulation. So in its rightful place, sex uh, builds self-worth, deepens intimacy between husband and wife, but used wrongly, it destroys people, destroys relationships, and undermines trust and acceptance. So sex is a wonderful gift that God designed, and it's to be enjoyed uh, within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. That's Bible. All right, number three. Historically, some, I put the church, but then I added in some of the church. Some of the church hasn't represented this well. And that's true. So on one extreme, the church has tried to appear relevant to the culture. And we want to accept and welcome people, including the homosexual community. And so we downplay or overlook what the Bible says is sexual sin and a clear teaching on the subject. On the other extreme, uh, we get very legalistic about this. And we say, this is what the Bible says. And we do it in a self-righteous way. Overlooking the rest of that long paragraph and that long list of of sins that we're all uh, part of. And we see homosexuality as the sin of all sins. So we don't seek to love gay people or welcome them or make a place for them. We might even get along with our neighbors who are adulterers or Buddhists or something else. But homosexuality, oh no, like this. So both of these are huge extremes. And here's what uh, Paul doesn't do either one of those in this passage. He's clear that homosexuality is an over-desire, but he's also clear that many other sins are as well, such as envy and gossiping, disobedience. And he's also clear that the people who do these things are the very ones that he wants to reach with the gospel. Here's what I say. No matter what sin people are involved in, they're still worth God's love. Tim Keller goes on to say, Paul's not saying it doesn't matter what you do. God doesn't mind as long as you're happy. But he's also not saying what you do matters so much that I don't want to love you or witness to you because you're beyond the gospel. Nobody's beyond the gospel. And just one more thing. Same-sex desire is temptation, not sin. Same-sex desire and acting on it is sin. Just like opposite-sex attraction is temptation, it's not sin, but acting on it is sin outside of marriage. That makes sense? So as a pastor and standing with the elders watching over the flock, any person who openly, actively, repeatedly, 
engages in sin, any sin, and refuses to repent, while advocating, promoting, and encouraging others to sin also, is not only a danger to the flock, but they're also on shaky eternal ground because they've willfully rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ. All right? The key word in this, in this passage is the word practice. Actively, openly, encouraging others to do also. So, we all get weak from time to time. And if we fail, and the Bible calls that sin, we acknowledge it, we repent, and we get up and move on. We don't stay there and wallow in our guilt thinking that we're adding to what Jesus paid at the cross. You can't say, oh, I've got to be guilty for at least three days, you know, because I messed up. And so you're out of the loop or three months or three years or something like that. As soon as you recognize it, repent, authentically repent, get up, accept the forgiveness of God and move on and still love people and represent Jesus well in your sphere of influence. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, the Bible said. He was tempted, but he never sinned. So you're going to get stuff thrown at you because you're a a wicked, sinful human being or the devil's tempting you or your wife is tempting you beyond what you're able. (laughs) I don't know. We get it thrown at it all all the time, right? But giving into it is where the sin issue comes in. So a couple things we can take home today. Number one, idolatry is much easier to see in others than in myself. Right? 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 Verse 32, and they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So we have an idea what that means, but how about this? Here's some questions for us. Our parents, by their by pushing their kids, encouraging their kids to make an idol out of academics or sports or some other activity, by pushing them to over-desire something. How about gossip? Allowing that to go on around me. Not saying anything. That encourages that. And gossip is in the same list as these sexually immoral sins. Not saying a thing. Or how about kind of giving an understanding nod when somebody is envious or covetous? Yeah, I can understand where you're at. When actually God says, don't do that. Don't covet. And he gives a whole bunch of examples in the Ten Commandments. Several of the Ten Commandments are don't covet. Yeah. So the question we ask ourselves beyond that is what idols could be or might be jostling for a place in our hearts above God? Now this is a sobering passage and if you're a believer and you're really taking God seriously, it's sobering. And so what other things could, could be jostling for attention? And this is between you and the Lord. So if it, if it, if it applies, just deal with it. Ask for repentance. Uh, ask for counsel from somebody you trust. Is it your career? Does that get in between you and God? 
Because idolatry has to do with what we think about most, what consumes us the most. Now, I'm not talking about when you go to work for your 40 hours a week, you have to, th- you have to think about it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you have time to choose what you're going to think about or what you're dreaming about. What consumes you? What do you have to have there? Is it money or power or fame? Or is it maybe it's our need for recognition? Maybe it's finding a mate. Maybe our children have, have become idols to us. It's all we live for. That's all we eat, drink, sleep, and breathe. I'm not talking about raising them. It takes a lot of work. But have they taken the place of God? How about our desire for pleasure or comfort? Or how about just something as simple as our day off? That, that phrase is common in our culture. We live for the weekend. It's all we think about all week long. It's just what we want to do. And that takes our place of our relationship with Almighty God. So once again, here's that quote from uh, Tim Keller, the second time we're going to read this same quote. When we worship an idol in his place, he's no longer the one thing we have to have in this life. Something else is. It rules us. And ultimately, we'll do anything, no matter how destructive to ourselves or others, to have it, to increase it, to keep it. What is that? Paul is addressing a serious issue right from the get-go in this letter to the Romans, and he's saying we cannot have any other gods before us. Nothing. And finally, please take this home today. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because the world is a tough place. And sometimes we are the toughest on ourselves. We get down on ourselves. Ugh. I did it again. I didn't want to do it. Paul says this later on in Romans. It's quite humorous, actually. He kind of lightens it up. He goes, the very thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the very thing that I do want to do, I find myself not doing. What am I going to do? He's like shaking his head. What am I going to do? And then he said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Wow. And then he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, when we fail, when we sin, and there's always the temptation there to do that, I encourage you, get up in the morning, stand in front of a mirror and say, you are loved by God. Jesus died for you. And you said yes to him. And he forgave your sin. And he set you on a right path. And he's coming back again for you. Preach the gospel to yourself every day so that you're aware of His grace and mercy. It's not some distant memory that we did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's a daily occurrence. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God Almighty. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're all in desperate need of a Savior. So when we stand up and sing a song again, let's, let's worship God during that time. And if you need to repent, repent. And get up and move on. And don't wallow in it. If you're going to wallow in anything, wallow in His grace and His mercy and worship Him because of it. All right? Father, thanks for this word. Uh, It really is a sobering word, Lord. And so I pray that nobody here would walk under one ounce of condemnation, that they'll understand 
that that's why you love us so much and that's why you paid the ultimate price so that we could be made right in your sight. God, we love you. We honor you. Please don't let us go home till we've dealt with things and we move on in freedom, walk in freedom. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.